Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development and to products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations, while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Todd Keeler. Todd is the director of the Office of Technology Commercialization at Worcester Polytechnic Institute, also known as WPI in Worcester, Massachusetts, a position he has held since 2011. Todd manages the WPI patent portfolio and is the lead in licensing technology to existing companies or startups in order to move it on a commercial pathway. Additionally, Todd has developed a vibrant licensing program, revising the university's intellectual property policy, and initiated several organizations on campus, including the WPI Commercialization Fund, Tech Advisors Network IP Evaluation Group, and the WPI iCorp site program. Todd earned a BA at Dartmouth College and an MBA at Dartmouth Tuck School of Business Administration. And with that impressive background, welcome to the podcast, Todd. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's great to be here. Well, thank you so much again, Todd, for taking part in the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. I generally like to start things off by asking my guests about their journey to tech transfer. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up at WPI and in Worcester? Uh, Yeah, it's a little different than normal, I would think. But um, I graduated uh, from, as you said, Dartmouth with the MBA, and I wanted to be a product manager and uh, in marketing and and Corning wanted to hire me. But the only way you could be a product manager was to sell the product first. So I got my fancy MBA and became a salesman, which was one of the best things that happened to me as I was very young, 22 years old. Uh, worked for Corning for 10 years, not only became a product manager, was the U.S. marketing manager for their medical division. And um, that is important because I, I then went on to small companies, started some companies. Uh, but one of my former product managers at Corning was the very first tech transfer person at Brigham Women's Hospital. And um, I was having trouble at a startup with a partner that was not very nice. And she called me to be a reference because she was going to go into a small uh, uh, small company in, on the West Coast. And I said, Susan, don't do this. It's horrible. My partner's screwing me. You've got the greatest job going. And she said, if it's so great, I'm going to nominate you for the position. <laughs> so I ended up as vice president of ventures for Brigham Women's, really one of the first business people in the Boston area, non-PhD, running one of these offices. And that got me into tech transfer in 1990 and went on uh, to, they called me the country doctor of tech transfer. I was consulting around New England to just about every institution. Uh, University of Vermont uh, College of Medicine called and said, can you run our program because the university is not supporting it? 
started there, grew that. Um, so then the university said, can you uh, run the whole university for us? And I'm, I live in Hopkinton, Mass. So I was commuting to Burlington, Vermont, grew that, had several people working for me. And then they said, you have to move to Burlington. And as beautiful as Burlington is, um, my wife said, no way. And um, WPI happened to call and said, do you have any time to help us? And I said, I could have a lot of time. So that's nine years ago how I got to WPI uh, and started uh, growing their program. Wow, that's quite a journey. Now, Todd, for those of our listeners who are not familiar with the Office of Technology Commercialization at WPI, can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, WPI is primarily an engineering school um, in Worcester, which is about 35, 40 miles west of Boston. So people from Boston think we're, you know, we're out in Pennsylvania or something like that. It's so far away. Um, But a lot of innovation there, uh, but wasn't being captured. So our Office of Technology Commercialization is very small. I have an assistant director, uh, Linda Kelly, and a licensing associate, Sarah Mahan. And we run the, the whole commercialization effort at WPI. Now, can you tell us about some of the programs and funds that are available at WPI? Yeah, so because, you know, we've got the experience of seeing how a lot of other universities and medical centers work, we're even though we're very small, we run a lot of programs that bigger universities run. So in addition to just the traditional day-to-day tech transfer, disclosures come in, find a licensee. We also are proud to run uh, the NSF I-Corps program, which is a customer discovery program. Uh, And uh, tomorrow night is a a class that goes from five to eight with uh, nine teams going through. Um, And it's amazing how they come in with a basic, especially engineers walk in thinking they have the solution and we force them to do 30 customer interviews and almost every time it changes from the original <laughs> value proposition to something new. To support that, we we developed a commercialization fund. I, I did this at the University of Vermont. And um, in fact, tomorrow is a meeting of oh, 80 or 90 of these funds uh, around the around the world now. They're gap funds that we can provide a small amount up to $10,000 for prototyping, proof of concept. Uh, it's treated like patent expense. And then once a company is formed, we have uh, an innovation investment for equity in the company. Uh, and that helps move companies along to the point where they can raise their next uh, amount of funding. Uh, Sarah runs the IP evaluator program. She has several hundred alumni uh, in our network with various content expertise. So last week we had we do it like a lunch and learn where uh, an inventor gives a brief overview. We had in, in her case, in this case, it was a, a veterinary device. We had a, a couple of alumni who had expertise in the field and really helped us with a direction on that particular invention. And then they can go to what's called the Tech Advisor Network, which is more hands-on mentoring. So if you start a company, they present to this group of alumni. It's been affected by COVID, but it used to be, and Sarah used to run this program where uh, we'd have 60 or 70 alumni show up on campus, a company would pitch, and then four or five of them would come and mentor them for the next six to nine months to try to move them to the next stage. 
Um, we are a chapter of the National Academy of Inventors where we celebrate our inventors. It's kind of cool where, in fact, a lot of the other chapters now are copied what we did, um, where we not only celebrate who got an issued patent, but if you license that patent, we frame a Massachusetts license plate that that's says awesome. WPI license on it. That's awesome. And and that's what the inventors covet. You walk into their office, often you see that up on their wall and not even their diploma on the that's wall. The, I have to say that's the most creative, I think, type of uh, award I've heard in kind of this, well, I, this space. I started it at UVM. So there's a bunch of green license plates ah, that says UVM license got on it, it. Got it. And and the WPI people have really, I mean, they they kind of like it's, I got this, you haven't yet to their faculty members. <laughs> And what we're just starting now is more informal because we get a lot of questions. What's the IP process over and over again? So we're starting actually tomorrow, our first coffee hour where people just show up uh, virtually. So it, it is when I tried doing this in person, it, it didn't work very well. But I'm hoping virtually people will just drop in and we can just brainstorm it. So those are some of the things that we do at WPI. Wow. And that's that's amazing because your office is you and then the assistant director and then the licensing associate. And, and that's it, you said, correct? That's it. Um, and we're we're hoping to get more help, but I'll explain later. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure we'll talk about that later. <laughs> that's either a wish or a challenge or maybe both. So, well, given that um, and given, I mean, the impressive array of programs that that you and your very small but mighty team are involved in. Can you tell us how many invention disclosures, patent filings, revenue generating agreements, royalty income, things like that, that your office has had under your leadership? Yeah. So when I got there, I went to the my boss and said, where's the file on licenses? And he had this blank look on his face. Oh, there was my. not one active license uh, at WPI when I got there. And there's over 50 now wow. that are active. Uh, we did not have one active startup. We now have 21 active startups. And so we had about 12, 15 invention disclosures then. Uh, we had 67 two years ago. It dropped to 42 last year, but it seems to be ramping back up, which we're only a $50 million uh, research base. And for those in the audience to do the math, you know, that's off the chart in terms of license. And, and we did 14 licenses. So licenses per million dollars and uh, patents by million dollars. We had 20 issued patents last year and disclosure by research dollars. It's off the chart. People, you know, MIT is just, you know, East of us there, and I said, "Guess what? We beat MIT on a per million dollar basis." <laughs> so, what do you think was what? What do you attribute that tremendous increase to? Was it more engagement with your your faculty and things like that, or? I, I like to say it goes back to the sales job that I first had at Corning, Makes sense. where you have to you, you understand who your customer is, and that faculty member or student is my customer and the person I'm trying to license to, that's my other customer. And if you treat them like that and respond them, uh, it, it just, 
starts generating interest. So the number of faculty that come through our office now, it's it's a huge percentage of the total faculty of, of WPI. So, Todd, I'm curious, um, what do you think is the key to success in technology transfer? Well, it it can be overwhelming, especially in a small office. It's and I talk to colleagues. It's like I never have time to market. I never have time to do this, blah, blah, blah. And one of the first things I learned at, at Corning was they would force you to go to training. And after this fancy MBA, I said, oh, I have to go to training. And there was a time management course that they offered. And it, and and they said, put put your tasks in A, B and C order and then throw out all the C's because you're never going to get to them. I said, no, I can't do that. I've got to keep it on my list. No, you'll you'll never get it. And then on your A's, pick three that day. Just pick three and and get those done. And in my office, one one of those three ought to be marketing of the technology. So we chip away at it to try to get after our, you know, moving. And I think that's why the laser focus on number of licenses uh, helps us achieve what we've been achieving. Now, Todd, I wanted to switch gears a little bit and ask you about corporate partners and the role that they've played there at WPI. Can you give us some examples of some relationships that you have with corporate partners? Well, I'd like to say it's broader than just much broader than just our office for doing licensing. Uh, WPI, we have an advantage. We we have project based learning. Um, So there's a major qualifying project uh, that every senior has to do as a group. Um, In fact, through their through their undergraduate years, they'll have done three group projects. So they learn how to play together nicely, which translates into effective um, employees and companies. And a lot of companies line up to sponsor projects at WPI. So we have a lot of corporate engagement at WPI already. So for example, Boston Scientific, who is a neighbor of ours, has done a lot of projects with students, very meaningful projects, um, hands-on. And we have a program called Practice Point, which is like an incubator space that companies can join. And Boston Scientific, we have one of our startups, AIM Medical Robotics, is a member of that. And we jointly can work on projects, generate intellectual property, and license it right into them. Um, I'm doing a license with AIM Medical Robotics right now. We've done a couple licenses with Boston Scientific. So that makes it easier at a place like WPI to have that corporate relationship. So would you say, Todd, that having these corporate partners has led to more deals or differently structured deals there at WPI? Uh, Definitely, because you've already got a relationship because our students are solving real problems for them. So then when I have a, a technology that might fit their profile, I'm going to get an answer on it because that's a problem for most of us is you cold call on a company, you can't get them to respond. And and I could say we have a job fair at WPI it, when it's in person, it, it is sold out. We just don't have enough wow. that, that many companies because this, the quality of these students are, are very high. So reflecting on your past license transactions and or some of these partnerships, Todd, what might you have done differently if you knew then what you know now? Yeah, sometimes the companies come in and expect everything for free. And 
And sometimes we cave in for that and, and because we don't want to ruin that relationship with the company. So I have to take a back seat sometimes, and that's okay uh, when a big defense contractor says, I don't want to screw up our relationship and I must own all the intellectual property. I get it. And I've sat on the other side of that fence, so I know what it's like. But I have convinced some to say, why don't you give us some small award uh, or reward for our inventor to be creative? And oh, by the way, we give 50% of anything we get to the inventor. And I've had a big company say, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'll give you a, a royalty if you invent something. Oh, that's a creative way to solve that that issue and that problem. So Todd, switching gears a little bit, you've mentioned um, a lot of really great inventions coming out of WPI. So I'm curious what some of your office's biggest success stories are in terms of successful technologies, startups, things like that. Uh, well, considering I started from zero and they take a long time, um, there's, there's one in particular that I'm especially proud of because I've been such a part of it. Um, Yan Wang, a, a very young professor nine years ago, who we recruited out of MIT, and uh, we have a recycling, uh, a whole recycling uh, program at, at WPI. It's interesting how many students want to be involved with recycling and not on oil refineries or something like that. I can and, totally see that in this this age right now. Yeah. And so Jan was very creative and persistent. He came to me with so many inventions that were kind of, you know, we marketed it. One got some funding, but it, nothing was working. And then finally he came to me and showed me on his bench top this grinding machine and this process for recycling lithium ion batteries. And it, it, in fact, I had to bring in my my spent lithium ion batteries from my tools that I had, you know, from my saw that I, my electric saw. And, and he was asking people for batteries so he could test out it. And we had our first invention disclosure in 2012. He and his postdoc were working on this and they started getting some traction. We filed some more patents. And we went into i uh, the National i program, and they asked me to be their mentor. So we flew out to Southern California, and if people are familiar with i on the national level, you can get beat up pretty badly. And we got up beat up pretty badly on our first try, and they that afternoon they said, go out and conduct five customer interviews. And we said, holy crap, how are we going to do this on batteries and so forth? So we're driving all over L.A., stuck in the traffic, but got our five interviews done. And after 100 interviews, you have to give a go or no-go. And Eric, who is the postdoc, got up on the stage and said, it's a go, a no-go for now, because we learned so much from our, our, our inventor, Jan Wong, said, oh, we, I know all the answers and we should just start a company. And we, we said no. He was convinced no at the time. But it's such a compelling idea of shredding a lithium-ion battery, treating it chemically, recovering all of the materials and the quality of the material is actually better than what comes out of the ground. And what comes out of the ground where you're getting it is are places like China or countries where it, the supply just isn't stable. And so we kept going and 
customers kept saying, look, if you can prove this on a larger scale, we're going to get interested. And they got some grants and we scraped together some money. We formed the company. Eric moved to a little incubator outside the region in the region of Worcester in a cramped little area and started doing more kilograms per day. And that started attracting more attention. And then they moved to a, a facility in Worcester and started building a bigger scale plant. And that attracted more attention, started raising some angel funding and started, you know, they raised a couple million dollars and actually started moving along. And some alumni were investing in the company and they needed to raise a, a big amount of money and they needed a, a bridge funding. And this was right at the height of the pandemic a year and a half ago. And the alumni passed the hat. They were hoping to raise 500000 And at 920, they cut it off. Oh, wow. And they ended up raising a $20 million round. Wow. And then last month, they raised a $70 million round. Because people like Ford and Tesla, Toyota, Hitachi, everybody's saying, can you build a plant by me? How fast can you build a plant? So they have a map around the world where they're going to build plants. They're going to raise $150 million by the end of the year and grow as quickly as possible. And our, our we have equity in the company from all of our patents and our commercialization fund put some money in at a $25,000 investment of about five years ago is worth over a million dollars now. Wow, that is not only a success story, it's a great story about a success as well. That's that's really an, an incredible story. I have to say it, it not only I say it's our Gatorade, but it's going to have a major impact on the world when you think of how many electric cars out there are going to have a spent battery and they don't. The current way of uh, recycling them now is burning them. Yeah. And just the impact, the environmental impact of burning those batteries is is just not something we can deal with going forward. So that's amazing technology. But Todd, given great success also comes some challenges. So I'm curious to know what you think your office's two biggest challenges are. Well, it, like every tech transfer, I mean, going from 12 disclosures to 60, the school has chosen chosen to keep our patent budget the same. So I'm hoping that will change and I have an opportunity uh, to change that and just personnel. I mean, with three people on this activity, uh, it's a fraction of what our peers have in terms of not only people, but dollar resources. So switching gears, Todd, I wanted to ask you about diversity, equity, and inclusion, because that's an important topic that's being asked in tech transfer offices all around the world. So in that vein, does WPI have any programs to help encourage and assist women and other traditionally underrepresented inventors and entrepreneurs? And if you do, could you talk about those in a little bit of detail? Well, to start, we have a female president, and lo and behold, our percentage of women on the undergraduate level went from like high 20% to mid 40%. So, um, it's, so that, so naturally that's happening. The, the, the other thing that naturally has happened is the percentage of women inventors is up to 40% now on all of our patents in the last five years. That's double the national average, uh, 
Drew Hirschfeld, who runs the U.S. Patent Office, <laughs> happens to be a parent of a student of ours. So he he came and spoke at a National Academy of Inventor event. Very cool. And I, and I gave that percentage. He just his eyebrows went up. He said, you know, it's only 20 percent nationally. <laughs> yeah, that's extremely impressive. That's I'm sure he was pretty shocked. And I, I've been asked, you know, how, how did that happen at WPI? Because if you go back to our patents in the 90s or so, no, there was no women. But uh, I think, and I have to do a deeper analysis of this, but our biomedical engineering group is relatively new. It's only about 10, 15 years old. And whoever was hiring happened to be hiring a very high percentage of women and they were coming from industry. So I look at some of my really good female inventors. They came into the job not thinking, I just have to teach. No, I'm going to teach and I'm going to do research and I'm going to invent. And that I, I see that across male, female, of all the young investigators now, it's like they they want to do research, not just teach a class. So, Todd, what organizations are you and your two other colleagues involved in, things like Autumn, LES, and, and what value do you guys think they add? Well, certainly Autumn uh, is is a critical factor for us, especially Sarah, who's new to um, to this world. She came from our tech advisor network. So she really has a great relationship with our alumni, which is very valuable to us when we're marketing our technologies. Uh, but like the tools course that Autumn has was she was able to take it pre-COVID and that really kick-started her background. Uh, to be honest, with budget cuts, some of the other organizations, in, including LES, has not been on the top of the list. Um, uh, but certainly locally, we have a mass association of tech transfer offices, MATO. So, um, I, you know, again, once we're able to gather again, it's nice just to go into Boston and, and have best practices there. So th those are the major ones. So switching gears, Todd, I wanted to ask you about your view on credentialing, things like registered technology transfer professional, the RTTP designation, uh, certified licensing professional designation. Um, do you think that makes a difference? Well, at my stage in the career, probably not, but I would, I'd like to see, I, I think for new people, I think it's a great uh, program to, to participate in. Um, I think it's smart to have kind of a leveling of the playing field there. And that if you're, you know, people move around um, in these offices and if you have that credential, I think that gets your foot in the door if you're applying for a new job. So, Todd, I generally like to close the podcast by asking my guests, if you could have any three wishes granted or a vision realized for your office, what would that be? <laughs> so besides money and people, um, <laughs> I, I really want to the, the wish is that these technologies have an impact on society in a real positive way. And it's just not about the money. But if we can you know, recycle every lithium ion battery. Um, we have a medical robotic that can do intracranial uh, surgery in an MRI, which could change the way surgery is done. We have a know-how license for um, uh, an artemisia plant that is going to help developing uh, countries with uh, inflammation diseases. I mean, that's, that's what gets me up and excited. 
and um, arguing with my wife about retiring because I don't <laughs> want to retire <laughs> because uh, this is too important and way too much fun. Yeah, I, I think that's a great uh, wish and vision, I would call it. So thank you. Well, Todd, I can't thank you enough for all your insights and time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you? Absolutely. Just it's T Keeler, T-K-E-I-L-L-E-R at WPI.edu and happy to, um, to chat. Great. Well, thank you so much again, Todd. It's been really great to have this opportunity to talk to you. Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.